0: Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name. Prince of Peace, the God. Oh Lord, God Almighty. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. Oh Lord God Almighty. Good morning, good people. Great to see all of you. Thank you for being here. We have a great worship planned uh, for this hour. And um, glad that you are all going to be here and part of it. Um, Steve Diggs will be speaking later in the hour. Will Shipman will direct our thoughts as we gather around the table at the appropriate time. Man, oh man, I'm so impressed with all the fashion statements on these, on these masks. Um, I, I feel almost ashamed, and mine is just a plain old white. But uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Glad that you are here. Uh, let's go ahead and be standing as we continue to worship in song. There is, beyond the azure blue, our God concealed from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with his great mind. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live and we survive. From the our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am. There was a long, long time ago A God whose voice the prophets heard He is a God that we should know Who speaks from His inspired word There is a God, He is alive In Him we live and we survive the star God created man he is our God whose son upon a tree A life was willing there to give That he from sin might set man free And evermore with him could live There is a God, he is alive In we live and we survive. From the our God created man. He is our God, the Great I Am. Hear the holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Come and see what he has done for us. Tell the world of his great love. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who saves. Let God arise, let God arise. Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever, Arise, that God arise, Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever, His enemies will run for show, The church will stand, she will endure, He holds the keys of life, death has no sing, no final word, our God is God who saves, our God is God. Who says, that God arise, let God arise, our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever, arise, let God arise. Our God reigns now and forever. He reigns now and forever. Our God is a God who saves. 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 Let God arise Let God arise How God reigns now and forever He reigns now and forever Arise Let God arise How God reigns now and forever He reigns now and forever Let God arise Please take your seats. Amen. O Lord of my refuge, you are holy and just, you are faithful and righteous, you, O Lord of my refuge, by your mercy you cover me. Under the shadows of your wings, Lord, in your presence i remain. You are forevermore the same. You are my refuge, my only refuge. You, O Lord, are my refuge. In You I find rest. You're my God and my fortress. You, O Lord, are my refuge. By your mercy you cover me under the shadow of your wings. Lord, in your presence I'll remain. You are forevermore the same. You are my refuge, my only refuge. You, O Lord of my refuge It is you I will trust You're my light in the darkness You, O Lord of my refuge By your mercy you cover me By your mercy you cover me By your mercy you cover me
1: Buenos dias. Good to see you. Buenos dias. Buen gusto en verles.
0: My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning till late at night. My only hope is you.
1: Mi esperanza eres tú,
0: Cristo. Mi esperanza eres tú. Y desde la mañana hasta anochecer, mi esperanza eres tú my only peace is you Jesus my only peace is you from early in the morning till paz eres tú Cristo mi única paz eres tú y desde la mañana hasta anochecer mi única
2: paz eres tú
3: I'll be reading from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
4: turned on here correctly. I'm glad to see everybody this morning. Welcome to church. Church. It's good to see everybody back. This crowd is getting fuller every Sunday it looks like and it's a it's a good thing. You know one of the things that I have been excited about all week is getting to preach. And in I hate to admit this but in great part it's the only 30 minutes this week in church at least that I get to be here without wearing a mask. So <laughs> really grateful for that. Right now Brian is back there working at land speed level trying to uh, get the programs changed over so are we good to go yeah thank you listen uh, this morning before we get into things I need to do a little bit of an explanation I thought I might just start out here with a question now this is for those of you in here who have some uh, miles on the odometer if you know what I'm talking about here's a question how many of you in here have any clue what this is does anybody know what that is what is this it's a test screen. Now for those of you in here, the children, those of you under 50, okay, this is what they used to have on television through the night because back in the old days when television was different and more decent than it is today, Television usually signed off at about midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. And it would stay off until about 6 o'clock in the morning. And during those four or five hours, this test pattern would be on. I can still remember Saturday mornings getting up early and turning on my television set, waiting for the cartoons to come on, sitting there watching this thing like it was going to move. But uh, this was what we grew up with. Now, on that, in that same vein, I want to ask you a couple of fast questions about television here to sort of get to our point this morning. Number one, for those of you in here again who know something about the old days, tell me, uh, what, what is the answer to this? Back in those days, shows were in what? Black and white. We did not have color. I can still remember my first color TV set. It was a cartoon. I could not believe it. Number two, the new shows always premiered in what time of the year? in the fall in the fall the television networks all trotted out their new television shows and it was sort of a big deal because that was the time of year because we all after all we only had three channels and that was the time of year when we got to see some new television shows here's the third question summer was when they ran the what the reruns in the summertime we saw reruns of what we'd seen in the fall time And it was just predictable. That was the way it was. Now, why did this happen? Well, it had to do with the network execs edicts. Back in those days, the networks did not want to spend any extra money. They didn't want to have to run new shows in the summertime because they would have to buy those shows. And after all, there were not as many people watching television in the summertime as there was in the fall. Well, in sort of the same vein today, this is summertime here at Antioch. And here at Antioch, since it is summertime, and since there is a network exec that I have to answer to (laughs) Whit asked me to do a rerun today so I'm doing this with kind of an explanation and halfway of an apology some of the things I'm going to share with you this morning, most of them actually are concepts that I've shared here in part or in full in the past so for those of you here that just wanted to come to church this morning so you could sleep in this might be the day to do that and for those of you that have not heard some of these things hopefully they will be of some benefit and interest to you. Here's the reason uh, Whit and I were talking a few weeks ago about his teaching from Galatians on on grace and so forth and he asked me some questions about what i had been teaching on it to some places and we got to talking. and he said well Steve I'd like for you to get up and share that. So that's why we're going to do this. This is a little visit that maybe some of you have heard at least parts of before but I want to share again that I call my touch points presentation and very quickly, to give you some context on this, back in the years when I was in the business world, uh, for 20 years or more, I ran, I ran an ad agency. And again, I always feel like when I say something like that in front of a bunch of Christians, I have to explain, our ad agency was not the kind of thing you see on television. We were a Christian-operated company. We try to do things Right. But back in those days, it would not have been a bit unusual for me to walk down the hallway in the office building and see one of my employees and say, tell me about such and such a client of ours. How many touch points will we have this week? And the, the, the employee would have understood. What I wanted to know was how many times would this company's advertising Touch our target market this week and it was pretty easy to calculate and say well the average person within our demographic should see two television commercials and hear three radio commercials and see a couple of newspaper ads. They would have then said Steve we will have about seven touch points this week. Well, again, in that same vein, what I'd like to do this morning is share with you six touch points that I think are critical, I think they're crucial, I think they're foundational, fundamental, and at the heart of everything that we as Christians really need to be about. And to the degree that we get this and we internalize it, our walk with Christ, I think, will improve literally exponentially. So with that said, let me just kick off the very first one. The very first touch point that I want to share this morning is simply this. We, as Christians, have got to understand that our walk with Jesus is much more about relation than it is religion. Now, am I saying that Christianity is not a religion? No, I'm not. Christianity is a religion. Matter of fact, it's the only perfect religion that there's ever been. But, Christians, what we have to understand is that religion, for religion's sake, has never done the deal. It's it's never worked. And this is the incredibly unique thing About Christianity. You see, for the, and again, I'm not a great student of world religions, but I've studied them some. And I'm not aware of any other world religion where God presents himself as a loving father. And Jesus is presented as our elder brother. And again, this was the ridicule of the Greek pagan. This was the, this was the, This was the downfall and the stumbling block for many of the Jews. How can Deity be Father? How can that happen? But this is our God. God has called us to relationship way above religion. You know the Bible talks about how Jesus is both the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. Now you know an author is not just somebody who who looks at someone else's notes and scribes them down on a piece of paper. That's not what an author is. An author is that individual who conceives of an idea and presents that idea in a fresh way. And that's what Jesus does for us. It's a completely different way of approaching God. The Bible says He's also the perfecter of our faith. And again, i tell you what I what I don't know about Greek would fill the Smithsonian So I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar, but I did take Greek a long time ago i learned learn a little bit about it. This word perfector really comes from a, a Greek concept the word is totelios or totelion Depending on the gender, but the bottom line to it is it has to do with the idea of coming to maturity coming to completion coming full cycle and this is what Jesus is. He bring, he's the author and he's the one who brings us all the way full cycle into God's heart. You see, Christians, when we're talking about religion, and this is what a lot of Christians do, a lot of Christians spend their lives thinking that we have, are, are, are somehow like like. I don't know, like hamsters on a little running thing. You know, we're just running all of our lives trying to do enough good stuff to get saved or to stay saved or whatever. This is what Christians tend to do and it's not just in our fellowship in Churches of Christ. This happens everywhere. This is something that we see in the popular media. We hear all these songs about, you know, I hope I've been good enough to go to heaven uh, and, and people talking about doing penance and all this carrying on. This is all born of a misunderstanding about who God is and what God's grace is all about, and this is what, again, what what Whit has been talking about in here for several weeks, about the warmth, the openness, the fullness, the completion that comes with God's full grace. Anytime we are talking about religion, it's always going to be about the do. Am I doing enough? But the beautiful thing is, when we change our religion to a relation with Jesus, at that instant, it becomes about the done. Jesus has done it. It's peaceful. It's finished. It's complete. It's mature. Jesus has done it. Here's the takeaway. Christians, if we're ever going to get this stuff right, and if we're ever going to have a compelling message to share with our friends, we've got to remember that our God is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner. You cannot you cannot out God. I don't recommend that we try. Paul talked about this. Shall we continue in sin that we'll get more grace? He said, he said of course not. God forbid. That is, not, that is the antithesis of Christianity. But still, this is the beautiful thing. We're called to be, we're called to be people who understand that, that our Father can forgive anything. That's the coolest thing of all to me. Here's that second touch point. So the question that usually follows is, well then, how do I deal with, with my past. And most every one of us in here, now some people do not have as much struggle with this as others. But many of us in this room have had a huge struggle with that. Because you know what you've done. I know what I've done. Where I've done it. Who I've done it with. How I've done I, I mean, I know. And there are days that if I don't recall what I'm speaking about here this morning, by the way, the reason I preach this is because I need to hear it as much as anybody in the room. But the the thing is, when I begin to realize what I have been given, it changes everything. How do I deal with my past? Well, you know, again, Paul has a pretty interesting story here himself. You know, you think about Paul, he had a lot of personal baggage on him, didn't he not? I mean, Paul was the guy, most of us know the story, but in case you don't, Paul was the guy who had been a staunch Jew, who hated, listen, I'm not using this word lightly, he hated Christ. He hated Christians. He made it his occupation to go from town to town, from his home base in Jerusalem, find Christians, round them up, drag them back to Jerusalem for persecution and sometimes worse. And by his own admission, Paul helped to murder some of of these Christians. And, of course, we know the story. On that road to Damascus, as he was going to capture more Christians, Jesus miraculously appeared to him, and all the rest is history. He became a Christ follower himself, and his heart totally changed. He became the individual, became the apostle, actually, who wrote more books in the Bible than anyone else. But the question is, how many times do you suppose after Paul became that Christian, in the coming years, did he stand up in front of an audience and, and look out and catch the eye of a woman whom he had widowed, or of a, of a, a, the eye of a child whom he had orphaned? How do you deal with this one? Here's what Paul said. He said that he had learned to forget what was behind, and he was constantly reaching forward to what was ahead. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see the devil likes to see us worry he likes to see us drowning in our past he likes to stop forward motion by getting us focused on the backside this is what the devil does this is a stock and trade the Bible tells us that the devil is the great accuser of the Saints he is the one listen carefully he is the one that every single time we crawl out of the pit and we start to look to Jesus and try to get our lives focused on what counts. He's the one that will be there with his scraggly finger in your face saying, yeah, you're playing the game now, but we know what you've done. This is the devil's and trade. Here's what I have to remember. Christians, there comes a time that we have to get past our past. And if we don't do that, we'll be no good for the future to God or to others. We've got to get past our past. And the only way we can do that is by simply believing what the Scriptures say. And that is that Jesus is forgiven it all. No ifs, ands, or buts. No penance due. It's forgiven if you're in Christ. And Christians are you beginning to see that when we get this stuff internalized then suddenly we're not going to be nearly as shy with our friends about Wanting to talk to them about Jesus because we don't feel any longer like we're trying to rope them into some form of legalism That we're having to live in instead. We're bring we, we want them to understand this freedom that comes with Christ it, it changes that paradigm completely. Here's the third touch point Then the next question we ask sometimes is then how do I achieve righteousness Well, one of the important things here, I think, is to remember that words mean things. And maybe this word achieve is exactly the wrong word to be using. Because that denotes active work, earning, accomplishing something on our own. Maybe I need to get rid of that word achieve and change that word to receive. Then how do I receive? That's a passive thing. How do I receive this grace? And again, the Bible tells us that we are saved and made righteous because of Jesus and not because of our good works. Over and over, the scriptures talk about this. Over in 1 John, John says, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now notice here, the word righteous is being used as a noun. Jesus, righteous, same thing. It's more than just saying Jesus is righteous. Jesus and righteousness are one and the same. He is the one who is advocating before God for us. What a a great thing. The fact is this. People don't want this stuff. Humanity really doesn't want grace. It's always been that way. And you say, wait a minute, Steve, I want grace. I mean, are you sure you really do? I mean, we live in a world out here where we pay as we go. We earn our keep. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I and mean, that sounds okay. And that's okay in the, in, out there in the world. I'm not arguing with that. But Christians, when we start to try to deal with our God this way, that's, that's heretical. That's against everything scriptures teach. You see, we all want to bring something to the party. One author has said that all Christians, or Christians typically want to be little mini-gods. We all want to kind of help, help God the Father fix things. And again, this is what Wit has been talking about in here for several weeks. We can't do that. Back in the 1950s, I've shared this story, I know, but, but let me share it again. Back in the 1950s, there was one of the cake mix manufacturers. I don't remember if it was Duncan Hines or Betty Crocker, but one, one of these companies came out with a new product that they thought was going to be a hit product. The deal was, all the lady had to do was open the package, pour it in a pan, add water, <laughs> throw it in the oven, and out came a cake. Do you know what happened? Nothing. Sales flatlined. Nobody was buying this stuff. So they went back and they did some more research on it, and they realized this: They realized that women did not like this product. Why? Because they did not feel participatory. So they reformulated it, so you open the box, pour it in a pan, crack an egg, mix in an egg, add the water, throw it in the oven, and kaboomski. out comes a cake. You know what happened with sales? They shot straight up. You see, everybody wants to bring something to the party. We all want to feel like we are significant in fixing anything that's going wrong. But again, in our walk with Christ, we can't can't do that. The heart of Paul's letter to the Ephesians talks about this. By the way, real quickly, the book of Ephesians is one of... um, One of several books that Paul wrote to churches that he had visited and that he had started Probably around the mid-50s, that was when Paul on what was probably the second of his three missionary journeys where he left Jerusalem or Antioch and he went up into the northern Mediterranean area. It was in the, those years, the mid-50s, when he found this town of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city of a few hundred thousand people in Paul's day. It was a beautiful town. Bonnie and I have been there a few times. It, it, to this day, it's still beautiful even in its ruins. Paul comes to this town and he loves this town. Now he finds that this is an incredibly pagan city i mean all over the town there are there are temples to prophecies and horrible things going on I mean, it was terrible but he begins to preach the gospel and all over the city of Ephesus people start coming to Christ well by the mid 60s Paul writes this little letter to the church there I don't know why he wrote it people speculate on this some people think well Paul wrote it because he wanted to put his steadying hand on the church before he before he left the world because Paul probably thought he was about to die I don't know but the bottom line is Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus And again, I think that the heart, the germ, the center of this letter is over here in Ephesians 2. Kevin read it to us a while ago, but I want to read it to you again. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is where Paul tells Christians how they're saved. And he tells us that we're saved by God's grace. And again, Paul knows how we tick, he knows people do not want to receive grace. So he says the same thing to them five times over. Watch this. Number one, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Number two, it's not of yourselves. Number three, it's a gift from God. Number four, not as a result of your works. Why is that, Paul? Number five, so you can't brag about it. Wow, Paul, you tell me that I'm saved by... Yeah, you're saved by grace. Well, what do I have to... Steve, you don't have to do anything. Well, I know, Paul, but what... Steve, this is a gift from God. And Christians, here's the deal. There's no such animal as a gift that you have to work for. The very moment I begin to work for something, it ceases to be a gift. You can't play this thing on both sides of the aisle. It's one or the other. And Paul says, it's a gift. Well, what, Steve, it's not a result of your works. Why is that? So you can't brag? You see, if any one of us here If it was about our works, any one of us here who had done a little bit more than another person could look down on that person and say, hey, I'm closer to God than you are because of my works. We can't do that. Paul also says in Romans 11, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace, I like this phrase, grace is no longer grace. Wow. Here's the takeaway. Christians, your righteousness, listen carefully, this is important. (laughs) This is great news, too. Your righteousness does not depend on your rightness. You cannot be right enough to be made righteous. That's the great news. That's what changes Christianity from every other world religion there is. So, how do we share this great news? You know, we know what we've heard. How do we, how do we share? Well, it's going to take different strokes for different folks. Paul also talked about this very thing. He said, to the weak I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. You see, Paul said, listen, I'm not changing my message, but I'm changing my methodology, the way I share this with people. I do this all the time. So I can reach different people. Now, Christians, this is something that I think is so important to us today. And again, I realize I've shared this before, but I want to share it again. This is important stuff, very important. We have got to understand the difference between the message and the method. There's a big difference. And and this is one of the reasons why churches don't grow. It's because we don't get this. We understand our message, but we sometimes confuse our methodology for communicating that message with being the message itself. And this is why churches don't want to change. This is why churches don't want to do different things. This is why churches sometimes don't talk to the older members who are sometimes digging their heels in the sand, saying, I ain't going to do it that way, and say, wait a minute, we have a younger generation of people who have a totally different worldview, a totally different way of learning, a totally different way of understanding things, who need to be spoken to in language, in words that they can understand. So how do we do this, and how do we accomplish this? Well, Again, a good example of this, and I know I've shared this, but bear with me. A good example of this really goes back over 150 years ago. 150 years or so ago, the Prudential Insurance Company comes along. They want to communicate to people that they are strong, that they're as strong as that rock that's on the Straits of Gibraltar. That huge rock. So what did they do? This became their first logo right here, which featured that rock of Gibraltar. Now, by the 1950s, this sucker was looking pretty dated, so they updated it to look like that. They didn't change their message, you notice, they just changed their methodology of communicating that message. It's still about the Rock of Gibraltar. And then what happens next? Well, by the 1980s, that became their look, much more stylized. Today, this is the look that they're using. But do you notice something? For over 150 years, this company has never one time changed their message. What they have done is they have changed their methodology. They've changed the way, the method in which they communicate that message. And this is the key, this is the crux of how how communication gets done. Christians, nobody should ever think about changing our 2,000-year-old orthodox message. It's our methodology, the way that we go about communicating it. So here's that fifth touch point. How do we overcome all of this? How do we deal with other folks? Well, I think the answer to that question also is fairly important. And that is we have to do it by asking the right question. And it then follows within what is the right question. Well, let me talk to you about why organizations fail, why why churches fail, why businesses fail, why relationships fail. They frequently fail because we start with the wrong questions. How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? You See, any time you start from that, you're inviting trouble. People begin to cut, throw out their own personal preferences, what they want to do, the, the, you know, all this, and then other people don't agree, and suddenly we're at, at tension points with one another. Needlessly, but we are at tension points. Instead, organizations that succeed are those organizations, and they're few and far between, those organizations who begin with the why. Why are we doing all this? why. And then once the why has been established, the how the what are legitimate questions, but they will, they will follow organically. Pharisees, these were always the how and what guys. They were always about the how and the what. They were the legalist. Uh, Jesus, on the other side, on the other hand, he was always about the why. Radically different approach to everything in this world. This is a great passage. It just comes from over in Luke, and it's a story that illustrates this beautifully. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman that was there that had been crippled by spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward, and he said to her, Woman, you are now set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately this woman straightened up, and she praised God. Now, <laughs> one would think that the Pharisees and the synagogue leaders that are sitting over there in the corner would be clapping like a bunch of seals about now, Right? Let's read. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Really? Really? You see how the how and the what get get you? It's always, how am I doing this? What are we going to do? Jesus was thinking about the why. Jesus was angry. He answered, he said, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? See, again, Jesus was always looking at the big picture. He was seeing what counted. He wasn't worried about the method. He was terribly concerned about the message. And Christians, the more we jettison the methodology, the more we're going to reach other people. Studies show that it used to take about 22, 24 years roughly for there to be broad societal change in the way people thought about any topic. They're telling us now that that's happening every six to eight years. What that means is this. It means that whatever we were doing here at Antioch six or eight years ago that was working, probably isn't working today. Now it may be working with us, but I'm talking about the people we need to be reaching. So we need to understand this. We need to understand that our people are a moving target. Whatever was working, we were talking to them, you know, this way and they were reaching them maybe six or eight years ago. But those people are on a continuum. They're moving along. And if I'm still talking the same way I was, those people are long gone. We're not reaching into people's hearts at all anymore. Jesus' theology was a real simple one. When they asked him, what does it take to get right with God? He said, hey, two things. Fall in love with God with everything you have from the DNA out. And number two, learn to love, and this is the hardest one for me. I'm sorry to admit it, but it's true. Learn to love other folk the way you already love yourself. Here's where he said that. Expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments Christians that's it right there we can shuck and jive and carry on about all sorts of things that are peripheral to that but that is the message right there that is the message um, I've shared this before, but maybe some of you don't remember it, I hope. (laughs) Um, In my world, it has all kind of come down to what I call the pole. Back in um, 1972, I met this little brown-haired girl on the Lipscomb campus, and I fell in love with Bonnie pretty quickly. A few weeks later, it was time to choose classes for our next semester. I wanted to be in a class with Bonnie. And, and she's smarter than I am, so she was taking classes that I pretty much couldn't get into. But there was this one, back in those days, by the way, you need to understand, at Lipscomb, we all had to take a Bible class every semester. And Bonnie was about to take a class on the Book of Romans, taught by a guy by the name of Dr. Harvey Floyd. Anybody remember Dr. Floyd? Yeah. And, and I didn't know anything about it. I said, well, I'll, you know, what, yeah, I'll take this thing. What, what, Steve, do you know what Romans is about? No, what, Rome? I didn't know. <laughs> So, I commenced to take this class so I could sit with Bonnie. It was the last class of our day. And in, in those days, back when I was in college, I had a little radio show downtown. And, and it was right after class. And as soon as class was over, I had to skedaddle downtown and, and do the show. And I was sitting there one afternoon, paying no attention to Dr. Floyd at all. And you need to understand again that I grew up in a world where we did not talk about grace at all. I mean... I really remember the only grace we ever spoke about in that little church I grew up in in Oak Ridge was the lady with the big hat on the third row <laughs> that was the only grace we talked about I, I didn't know anything about grace and at any rate I was sitting in her cl- in his class one day probably just doing some show prep or something paying no attention he walks over to me and says Mr. Diggs today we are discussing grace would you like to stand up and tell everybody in the class what grace is well no <laughs> I had no clue what grace was. And he said, well, true or false, Mr. Diggs, grace is when a Christian has done every single thing that he knows how to do to earn his way to God. He's worked, he's striven, and he's almost made it. I'm not coming over. And he's almost made it. And then God comes down that last little bit and pops you into heaven. That's grace. Right, Mr. Diggs? I said, yes, sir, Dr. Floyd, that's grace. Dr. Floyd said, oh, my goodness, Mr. Diggs, you could not be more incorrect. He said, go over there to the corner of the room and get that pole. There was a pole leaned up in the corner of the room. It looked like this one. And and he said, "Um, Steve, what I want you to do is I want you to balance this pole in your hand. So I did. No problemo. You can do that with one finger, Easy peasy. And then he said, Steve, I want you to look down at your hand. And I did. And the pole fell right over. He said, do that again. I did, no problem. He said, now look at your hand again, and I did, and the pole fell over again. And then Dr. Floyd said something that that really changed my life forever. He said, Steve, that my boy is grace. Grace only happens when we're looking 100 percent totally and only at the top at Jesus. He said, when you do that it'll balance forever and eternity. But he said, Steve, the very moment you begin to look to yourself, it will fall over every single time. Um, I don't recall much else I learned at Lipscomb in those four years. But this is a day that I've never forgotten. There's people in this room right now who are, um, you're, you're, you're good Christians. You love God. You've done everything you know how to to please Him. But you're still struggling because you feel like, man, it's all, it's all up to me. And you, you, know, you wouldn't really say that. You say, no, it's God, it's God. But you really don't believe it. You're still trying to add to the mix. You don't understand that you've been given, given the gift of grace and forgiveness. You don't have that sense that it's not based on your performance. And if you were to die before you walk out of the building, you're in Christ. You're okay. Everything's cool don't quite get that. And by the way, let me tell you something. I'm up here preaching it and I still struggle with it. But I know it's true. I know it's true. You need to get over that. You need to begin to rest in the grace. Now, Steve, you tell people that, they won't work. Now, I I disagree with that. I believe that when people get that, I mean when we really get that, there won't be enough power in the planet to keep us from working. Not to get saved, but because God blesses and thank God we are saved. That's the difference. And there's some of you in here who are not Christians yet, who've been thinking about it, and who are pretty screwed up in your thinking. Because you think some of the same things we do sometimes. You think, well, I, I'm not good enough for this stuff. I can't pull this off. I, I don't have the power to be. Well, you're not supposed to have the power to do it. That's why we get the gift of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. It's gotten to be a trite comment. Churches everywhere, they say, well, we're made up of a lot of imperfect people. Well, duh, this church is made up of a load of imperfect people. And I'll stand in front of the line. But in Jesus, everything is full, everything is right, everything is the way it should be. If you want to talk more about Jesus this morning, if you want to realign, if you want to talk to someone about becoming a Christian, uh, we're going to have a song here. I'm going to invite some of the shepherds, if you will, please. Just come up to the front. And during this song, if Jesus is touching your heart, if he's kind of getting you thinking about this, don't, don't spurn it. Don't push it away, because he's not going to beat the door down. Come up here. And visit with somebody that cares about you. It's your opportunity right now. And Joe David, you can have your song. Yeah, yeah. Without
0: you, I fall You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Sin runs deep, your grace is more. Grace is found is where you are where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one depends, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you to teach my soul to rise to you when temptation comes my way when i cannot stand i fall on you huh. jesus you're my hope and stay when i cannot stand i fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, Oh God, how I need you. You're my one mm-hmm. defense, my righteousness. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh God, how I need so I you. Here, I how do you explain and how do you describe? A love that flows from east to west so and runs as deep as is so wide. You know all our hopes. Lord, you know all our fears. And words cannot express the love we feel, but we long for you to hear. So listen to our hearts, and hear our spirits sing. A song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. We will use the words we know to tell you how an awesome God you are. are. Words are not enough to tell him of our love, so listen to our hearts. If words could fall like rain from these lips of mine, And if I had a thousand years or I would still run out of time If you listen to my heart Every beat will say Thank you for the life Thank you for the truth Thank you for the way So listen to our heart Hear our spirits sing, a song of praise that flowed from those you have redeemed, we will use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are, was it not enough? To tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts. Words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts.
3: Please take your seats. Good morning, everyone. Uh, David, you were on a roll there. I hate to interrupt you, but uh, uh, our, sister Cher, <coughs> our sister Michelle DeZoba called me this morning just before service, and Michelle uh, and Sharon. Sharon, raise your hand. Sharon, she up there uh, 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 are uh, wanting to make sure you are aware of the situation, and feel free to talk to, to Sharon. But this morning, Michelle's mother passed away up in Kentucky. And she's been in a facility up there for quite some time, and Sharon and Michelle used to go up there and visit her frequently. It's been a little more difficult here lately, hasn't it, Sharon? So uh, uh, Sharon's uncle is going to try to take care of whatever uh, arrangements uh, are up ahead, but he's not in very good health at all. He really doesn't know what to do. Uh, Michelle really doesn't know what to do, how to uh, work with him, uh, how to handle this situation of losing her mom. It's hard enough losing her mom, and uh, so we talked this morning. And what Michelle would like is for you all to love on her. And uh, Cheryl, I apologize for not getting this cleared with you, but I know I know your heart. Uh, if you all have recently had to go through dealing with losing a loved one and uh, making arrangements and so on. Uh, please uh, share what you've learned uh, you know uh, some things to consider and uh, right now what uh, Michelle would like is for you all to reach out to uh, uh, Cheryl here at the church office and uh, give your contact information so that Michelle can reach out to you and uh, over the next few days but I know several of you have lost uh, folks here in the last few months and uh, uh, you're experts now. Uh, you've had to deal with this. And so don't think you don't have something that would be of tremendous value in this situation. So anyway, uh, I appreciate uh, your prayers for Michelle in the, in the days ahead. And so let's pray for her and then I'll turn it back over to Joe David. Father, we thank you so much for giving us family here at Antioch and uh, uh, Lord, I just uh, pray we'll always be quick to reach out to one another when we're uh, struggling and have a need uh, uh, give us an opportunity for other people to be blessed by sharing what they have to give uh, to us in this situation uh, father we got some real experts here in the congregation and uh, they've uh, still mourning the loss of loved ones uh, that they have had to say goodbye to in the last few uh, weeks but lord we know we'll all be reunited we just uh, Uh, look forward to that each and every day. We pray, Father, that you will put on the hearts of folks to reach out to Cheryl or Sharon to uh, give to Michelle what would really help her in this time. We pray you give Michelle and the rest of her family tremendous comfort and help, and uh, uh, we just uh, uh, are so blessed to have... um, uh, the family you've given us, Lord. and I appreciate Steve's words this morning, Father, and help us to always understand that uh, Christianity is a person of Jesus Christ, Father. And thank you, Jesus, for uh, being over us, being our head and, uh, and leading us and loving us. And we just can't thank you enough for that. And help us to understand our relationship with you better and better each day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit here. The work on earth is done. Jesus, my redeemer. of old name. precious Lamb of God Messiah oh for slain thank you oh my Father for giving us your Son The work on earth is done. Your son and leaving your spirit, here, the work on earth is
2: done. Good morning, Church. Ah, uh, memories. Sometimes memories are a fleeting thing. You you can't, if you ask me what I had for uh, lunch last Tuesday, I'm not gonna be able to tell you that. If you ask me what I did on just a couple weeks ago on a certain day, probably won't be able to tell you that either. But I can tell you this, there's a memory that comes to my mind about every time that I stand up on this stage or even near this building. Happened a little over 20 years ago, right here on this stage in this building. And, It happened about where Cheryl Friend, the friends are sitting back here. Uh, You see, up until the time of this event, i have been having my picture taken a lot, and probably more than any other time in my life, I've been having my picture taken. And I had been just about, just just drained. It had been a long day already. And so I'm standing in the middle of the aisle, the whole auditorium has been emptied, and except for the photographer, a photographer standing at the back row, she's standing up on the top, and then they open those middle doors, and in walks Jenny in her wedding dress. And I can tell you right now, it's making me, I can, I can still feel my heart pitter-pat, and, and how I feel, the palpitations that occurred that first time I saw her in that wedding dress. And it's a memory that is just as much as you can be, and it gets triggered every time that I come here in this building. This is one of the memories that gets triggered. And when something very profound happens in our lives, that's when our memories happen. That's when our brain, you know, gets, gets going, creates those, creates those pathways. Uh, neurologists call, excuse me say, they're called superhighways. Your, your brain will get itself together. Uh, the neuron paths will make it so that this is something that will always be in your mind. And it's those profound moments that gives us memories. Now, today we're coming uh, together to remember something that happened a long time ago. Sometimes memories uh, need, like I said, a trigger. You need something that, that gets you to remember what had happened. Uh, a lot of people used to tie ribbons on their fingers. To help them remember stuff uh, just for the, the day. But once a week we come together to remember. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was surrounded by his closest companions. He sat down at a table with them and he took some bread, unleavened bread, gave it to him and he blessed it saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup. and he looked at it and gave it and blessed it. He said, here, this is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. Do it in remembrance of me. The greatest gift we've ever received is the gift of salvation and reconciliation with God because we've been separated from him by our sins. But as Steve so eloquently talked about this morning, grace, nothing we've done, nothing we can do, grace abounds and grace is in this body broken that God would sacrifice himself, himself for us so that we could have a relationship with him again, so that we can have that restoration, the reconciliation of being with God again. So let's pray. I'm going to bless both the bread and the cup at the same time. And after the prayer, you may partake. God and Heavenly Father, you are wonderful. At this time, we come to remember that event that happened 2,000 years ago where you willfully, on that night, went to the cross. You willfully took that cross upon yourselves. You took the way of the sin of the world, the sins of everyone, the sins of me, and you took them upon yourself and you gave yourself up so that I could have forgiveness. So everyone in this room could have forgiveness. So the entire world, all the human race could have forgiveness. And the wonderful story doesn't end there. On the third day you rose, uh, you conquered death so that one day we can conquer death and be with you. Thank you, God, for that sacrifice. And It's in your son's name. We lift this prayer. Amen.
1: It's good to see everybody this morning. Some of you may have received a text message or uh, uh, something from someone who's not in our service this morning. Our internet's been down, and so our service has not been live this morning. And so we, uh, I went out in the lobby there and kind of recorded a message and posted that in all of our social media sites and, and places just to let them know our internet was down. We are recording the entire service, and we're going to post that uh, this afternoon when we. Uh, that figured out. I guess some of those storms might have knocked out our internet. Jeff says it's back up now though. So kind of came back up about 10 minutes ago. So anyway, uh, this morning as we uh, move on and and think about family news and offering, uh, I do want to remind everyone that if you need to give or or you have a uh, want to give that you can do that online. Uh, You can do that there in the lobby. Um, multiple ways to do that. If you need help with that just uh, contact me and let me know. I looked on Life360 just a few minutes ago and my wife is on her way back. Uh, this weekend we had a high school retreat uh, at Camp Mirba in Centerville. We had about 40 people who went on that retreat together and enjoyed, uh, enjoyed some time up there worshiping and, and fellowshipping with one another. My wife said that JP has done an excellent job this weekend. Here, I'm very, very happy for him. Um, now, excited excited for the group and for JP and Megan and their families being here, and so uh, excited that's, that's going on. Um, also want to introduce this morning a new member, but a familiar member, uh, Deborah Hollins is officially placing membership with us, and so we're excited to welcome her, and um, uh, to be part of this family. She's already contributing and has contributed, and I know Will uh, with camp and, and other things and her nursing skills. Um, so we're happy to have you and be part of this. A Couple other exciting announcements. Next week, we are going to start WOW. And so we will have WOW next week, right. which we're excited about. Uh, WOW will be for three years old through the second grade. Uh, we will move communion back to before the message. And then uh, during the, right after communion time, kids will de- be dismissed to the foyer. And Miss Stacy and some volunteers will take those kids up to the pavilion. And apparently Stacy has control over the weather. She said it'll be fine. And they'll go up to the pavilion and they'll have wow during worship service. So we're excited about that. The nursery will be open but not staffed. And so if you do have one that's a little younger and you need a place to go, the nursery will be open. And there'll be cleaning supplies and things in there and some instruction uh, to help you. But that space will be open for you. One week following that, uh, we are going to start our Bible classes back, in a it's going to be in a, a somewhat modified version. And so, we are going to have two adult classes: one is going to be in here uh, that Wit is going to teach, and then one in the Fellowship Hall that I'm going to lead. And then we'll also have um, our children's classes. So we'll have a high school class, middle school, elementary, and preschool class. Cradle roll will not be open, but again, the nursery will be available uh, for that as well. So, wanted to let everybody know about that. That's exciting uh, to be able to, uh, to make that announcement. Uh, there'll be an email going out this week uh, with a link. We are going to ask people to register for those classes just so we can be better prepared and know um, what the numbers might look like so that we can provide for the seating and things like that and be prepared for that. So, I'll be looking for an email this week uh, with a link to register for classes. I think at this time,
4: Steve's going to come up and close us out. I'll tell you you what, why don't we all stand up and we'll get ready to leave. Are you going to listen to a song? Okay, we'll have a song after this. Listen, just um, as we wrap this up this afternoon and this morning, I suppose it still is, my goal, my dream for Antioch and for my own life, maybe it could be shared among all of us, is for this church and for us individually to become greenhouses of grace. Where We enjoy God's grace on two levels, and I think he means for us to do this. Number one, for us to internalize it. Just like you have a great warm day on the beach, laying, laying on a hammock, you know, soaking in that sun. Soak in Jesus' grace this week. Understand how close and how real and how complete and, and capable it is. But secondly, don't let it end there. Turn it around and let other people see that grace that inspires you. Speak to them. Uh, When you you go into a restaurant, invite that person that's taking your meal order. Ask them if you can pray for them. Tell them you're going to have a prayer, you'd be happy to pray for them. Speak to the person at the gas station when you pay for the the gas. Look for those great opportunities to let other people in this very hopeless world out here see the hope that you have within you. God bless you all.
0: Praise God from whom God blessings flow.